This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show. It is time for... Uh, the next quiz for our clue this morning. Yes, ready? it is. I'm not quite sure what happened there. No. It kind of uh, something went wrong, but anyway, we are back on air. Button. We are not going anywhere. It is definitely time for our next clue for our quiz. Go Indeed. for it, Indeed. Okay, so moving on. Jacob was filled with fear because Esau was coming to meet him with this many men. Okay, how many warriors did uh, Esau manage to get together for his particular expedition against Jacob? If you know the answer, 1-800-324-843 is the number to call or text us on 0491-064-669 for your copy of the McDougal's book on uh, good health. Their cooking, their cookbook. Cookbook, that's right, cookbook. A healthy cooking book. Absolutely. Okay, our 20 million movement Bible study for today. We are getting into the clarity of Scripture. We are indeed. And so we're going to be looking at a number of verses here. In fact, we're given a whole bunch of verses that kind of illustrate pretty much the same thing. So why don't we do uh, Matthew 22, verse 31. Let's just start with, there with that one. And while he's flicking over there, just a quick reminder that this Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10.30, small group Bible study, interactive Bible study happening here on Faith FM. So uh, what have you got for us there, Liam? All right, 22, verse 31. It says, But now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the Scriptures? Long after Abraham and Isaac uh, and Jacob had died. Yeah. Yeah. You read too far. I did. But, but <laughs> I, the important bit, so I'll read the first bit again. Yes. Uh, haven't you ever read about this in the Scriptures? Okay, so we've got a Jesus bunch said. of verses here that we could look at. And oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And they all kind of say the same thing, and there's a bunch of others that we could. And basically what it is, is Jesus quoting the Bible. Indeed. Now, what's important is that when Jesus quotes the Bible, he quotes as he does right here. Haven't you ever just read what the Scriptures said? He doesn't go into, haven't you interpreted what the Scriptures say? Haven't you, you know, divined some specific meaning from the Scriptures? What Jesus is doing is simply saying, haven't you read what the Scriptures say? Indeed. What they said. Um, And so essentially what you find is when you read the New Testament – in particular, yeah. where you find a lot of quotes from the Bible. Yeah. So you don't find the Bible quoting from the Bible as much in the Old Testament as you do in the New. Indeed. But the New Testament is full of it. In it fact, is. if you go to books like the Book of Revelation, 90% of it's quoting from the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, it's just all made up of, you know, quotes that have been pulled together from here just and there. Just to, and everywhere. to reiterate the point of what, what everyone's trying to say. And you're going to, um, and and so you're going to find that you know they're, they're continually quoting, and what they do, the way that the New Testament writers use the Old Testament or use the Bible is obviously the way that we should use the Bible. Indeed. Okay. So how do they use the Bible? In the Old Testament, yeah, they use it as, or well, it's it's not really a Bible as such. In then, it's just. Uh, at that stage, it's more just pieces of of, of of words written by people, inspired by God. Um, so I guess it's okay. 
I'm trying to collect my, th- my thoughts. Um, but they, they don't necessarily have one Bible. They've got lots of different Bibles of different sort of sections. And they probably use it similarly to how we use it today in the Old Testament, um, just not quite as significant. It's not quite as as, as power. And, and that, back then, because they were still... It was more word of mouth in the Old Testament, I think. More... Uh, more they, they, they spread God's word through the mouth rather than through the book because there was l- not as much that needed to be spread. Okay, but we're specifically looking at how the New Testament writers are using the Old Testament. Okay, so in the New Testament, yeah. the old, they use the Old Testament to reinforce what they're saying to, and to, to, to say that I'm saying this and the reason that you can know that this is true is because it's been said before in our old in, in, in the passages of the Old Testament. How do we find the New Testament writers' usage of the Old Testament? How does that illustrate to us the clarity of the Bible? It shows us that it's consistent. It's a consistent thing that is is not just you know it's not lots of people having lots of different ideas and lots of different views. It's it's lots of people having similar views telling similar stories all about the, the all about God and all about spreading one's God one uh, one God's message and it's all sort of in line they all work in line with each other in one way or another okay so what you're going to find and this is I guess this, this is the the reason that we've given this whole bunch of verses here is to illustrate this point that when the New Testament writers refer to the Old Testament, they use a plain, literal meaning of the Old Testament, unless otherwise specified. Yeah. yeah. So in other words, the, the plain, simple reading of it. Yes. So they're not going to, you know, the book of Genesis or the book of Daniel or the book of, you know, whatever from the Old Testament, and they're not going there and drawing out from those books, well, you know, there was this, you know, famous allegory that took place, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 uh, that kind of, you know, talks about the origin of sin and evil, but, you know, this is not something that we take literally today and, and, and try and draw out some deep allegorical um, or symbolic meaning from it. That's not what they're trying to do. They just take it as this is the plain, literal reading of the Bible. Yeah. Do we take all of the Bible like that, though? Uh, nowadays, no, we don't. Did they back then? I, th- uh, I think they did, yes. So the New Testament... Writers were using it differently to how we do it today. I think we don't. It's not all the Bible that we don't take literally. I think predominantly we do take it for what it is. But I think we, we I think we covered this a little bit last week when we were talking about Leviticus, how that some things like for for cross uh, mixing fabrics, for example, it's something that isn't a big isn't as big of an issue nowadays as it was back then. So things like that, the small things. All right, so that's a good example. How do we then define what is allegorical and how do we define what is symbolic? When we read any portion of the Bible, because today obviously we have both the Old and the New Testament, when we read any portion of the Bible and I pick up a a portion of the Bible, how do I define this is an allegorical statement whereas this other statement over here is a symbolic statement and this one is a plain literal sense. 
How do we define the difference between the two? You know, for me, I have been trying to work this one out for quite a while. You know, there's countless, a number of things in the Bible that are quite controversial, and I don't know the answer to all of them. I... I do my best to try and interpret, to, to, to try and, and, and take what I can from it. I try and read it and I do my best to work out what it is. And I, also, I, I, you know, I speak to other people who have studied the Bible for much longer than me and I, I look for their insight and their wisdom as well. So for me, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. And, but yeah, it's a, it's, it is a tricky one. All right, so let me give you a really simple answer to a really tricky question. Anytime the Bible is going to speak allegorically or symbolically, it's going to make it obvious by using extreme language. So I'll give you an example. Go over to uh, Judges chapter 9. Uh, Judges chapter 9. And, uh, you know, coming back to the one about mixed clothing, uh, that's a really good example right there because, you know, the sentence before it says you don't mix two fabrics together, uh, the sentence before that is you don't sow a field with two lots of seed. In other words, you don't take corn seed and bean seed, mix them together into a pot, and then spread them out over your field. And so that's obviously ridiculous. No, and that's and something so when, that is still kept today. Yeah, and, and, and so when the Bible says something that's obviously ridiculous, then obviously there is a symbolic meaning to it or an allegorical meaning. Indeed. Okay, so what have we got here in, uh, where are we? Judges. Judges chapter 9. Would you like to read for us verse 9, please? Uh, verse 8. Let's read verse Judges eight. chapter nine and verse eight says, "Once upon a time, <laughs> I just read the f- okay. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king, for they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people, just to wave back and forth over the trees? Can I ask you just quickly, what does sure. your Bible say for the first line?" At- uh, it says, the trees went forth on a time <sighs> to anoint a king over them. It doesn't say once upon a time. Okay. Yours has definitely drawn from the, uh, you know, the nursery rhymes of the past. It has indeed. And uh, that's kind of cute. But, um, <laughs> okay, so when we read this particular passage here. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Didn't see that one coming through. Okay, but when we, re- re- we read this passage here, uh, where we have the you know the, the trees getting together to elect a leader over them, a very early form of democracy taking place. Indeed. Showing that democracy has uh, been around for a long time and was a well-established principle back 3,500 years ago when the Book of Judges was written. But they're going to go and elect a, uh, a leader over them and they have a conversation with the olive tree and say, hey, maybe you should be our leader. Um, do you take that passage in its plain, literal sense? No. Why not? Trees are... I can't think of... They're not human. They're, what's the word I'm looking for? Inanimate. They're not... Um, in, say that again. Inanimate. Inanimate. In, in I'll, just, I'll, I'll, just, I'll turn your mic on, Chell. Can you just say that for us? No? no she's shaking her. She's like, no, don't put me on there. Sorry, say that again. Inanimate. Inanimate. That's they the one we're looking for. They are inanimate... Inanimate in, objects. Okay, so they don't speak. They don't, they don't speak, communicate no. with each other through... Through... Um, they, they don't have... Through sounds. Yeah. They don't communicate with each other through sounds. All right. So, 
The Bible is very, very clearly identifying for us here. Don't take this in its literal sense. There is an allegory that is being presented in Indeed. this passage. Yes. And when you go to uh, you know, your mixed fabrics, you've got exactly the same thing. When the Bible says something that is ridiculous, like you don't you know, mix all of your seeds together and just spread them over your field, then once again, clearly the Bible is speaking in this case symbolically or allegorically with a principle, a lesson that it's trying to communicate. And so what you've got to do is to, um, you know, the, the Bible kind of makes itself, itself obvious on these things. So if you go over to, uh, let me see, let's go over to the book of Luke. Also, in, in my version for that particular version, uh, verse, it, it does start off with once upon a time. So. It does too. So it's giving you a bit of a clearer <laughs> indication. There. It says once upon a time. It's like, yeah, maybe this one's going to be an allegory. Let's go over to Luke chapter 16. And let's see here. Beginning of verse 19, the Bible says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar called Lazarus, which was laid at his feet full of sores and desiring to be fed of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes and being in torments sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And you can read on down through the passage right there. What are we dealing with here? Is this allegorical? Is it symbolic? Or is it plain literal sense? And why? Uh, I think it is. I don't. I, I don't think this actually. So, when you say literal, do you mean like it actually happened? Or is it? It's a uh, literal. You know. Okay, we could say it actually happened, or we could say it's a literal example of what does happen. I, I'd say so. Um, there's, there's a lot to take in here. Um, yeah, I, I... Okay, I'm going to say not. Not. Okay. And let me share with you why I'm going to say not. Okay. Uh, first of all, the Bible says that nobody lives in hell. No. So here you've got the rich man living in hellfire. Not yet anyway. Um, then the Bible also says, well, nobody survives hell, ever. No. no. Yeah. Um, so then you've got, uh, continuing on from there, you've got some extreme language. And you, what you've got to look for is extreme language. And in this passage, Jesus goes to extraordinary lengths to ensure that nobody takes this literally. And there are, are a bunch of examples for that. First of all, you've got Lazarus who goes to Abraham's bosom. So if all of the righteous and saved, when they die, go to Abraham's bosom, how big is Abraham's bosom? Uh, you know, how many million people is he hugging right now? You know, and are you going to spend eternity in Abraham's bosom? How much fun would that be? And if you were in heaven in Abraham's bosom, being hugged by Abraham for eternity, which would get boring after about the first 30 seconds and any longer than that would be just uncomfortable, then what would it be like if you spent eternity in heaven, in Abraham's bosom, being hugged by Abraham and looking across at everybody who you loved that was in hellfire? Um, how much fun would that be? Not a lot. And then, of course, they're having this conversation with each other, but they have not noticed that there is a great gap between each other. And if there is a great gap, how can they be heard between each other? And then you have this ridiculous statement by the rich man where he wants Lazarus to go and dip the tip of his finger in water and touch it onto the tip of his tongue. Okay, so Jesus is using really, really extreme language here to say, Please, guys, don't take this literally. No. This is a highly symbolic, highly allegorical 
uh, statement that is teaching a lesson about a bigger picture of what is happening and really what he's talking about when you go down through the passage is, you know, he sums it up at the end there where the, the rich man is symbolic of the Jewish nation. Indeed. Lazarus is symbolic and associated with the dog, symbolic of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are coming to God before uh, the Jewish nation is, and the reason that they are doing that is because the Jewish nation don't believe Moses and the prophets. Yeah. This is Jesus' whole thing. You need to go back and believe Moses and the prophets. So this is the lesson that he's teaching. But he's using extraordinary extreme language. I mean, if, if you were burning in eternal hellfire, if there was such a thing, indeed, then would you want somebody to dip the tip of their finger in water and touch the tip of your tongue with it to cool you off? No. You'd want a fire hose, you, right? You'd want, yeah. Just, just, just hit me with a fire hose and don't let up. <laughs> just, just keep it coming. And so... Um, what you're going to find is this. When the Bible is using allegorical language, it will use extreme language to define that this is allegorical, that there is a bigger lesson here that you need to learn, other than this is, you know, and, and, and clearly making it uh, a, a statement that you do not take this as a plain literal reading. Let me give you another example. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And which verse are we looking for? We'll go to Revelation 13, verse 1. Okay. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns and uh, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. So I'm going to say that uh, I've never seen a beast with uh, seven heads. I, I, I think it's plausible that a beast could come from the sea. Uh, however, a beast with ten... You come from North Queensland. They come from the sea all the time. They do indeed. And uh, they have big snappy jaws on them. They do indeed. Some, of them, they, some people even name the, the things. Uh, but I've never seen one of those with seven heads or with ten horns or with ten crowns on those ten horns. Or with the names of blasphemy written. Or with the name. yeah. That would be a very... Um Graffitied crocodile. It would indeed. A very... A very um... It's saying that... Actually, yeah, no. It, it, yeah. No. We've never seen this. Okay, no. so then is this symbolic, allegorical, or plain literal reading? This is symbolic. Okay, so this one's symbolic. Yes. This one is not a story. This one is quite obvious. This is a picture. Yeah, this is one super obvious right here. Okay, because if you ever meet somebody who says they've actually seen one of these, then, uh, you know, once again, um, we could probably give out the lifeline number for you and find some <laughs> help for those people because um, they're probably going to be needing a little bit of help. Um, so the Bible is making it clear and making it plain. And so, and really the principle that is being outlined here and the principle that you find in Scripture is that whenever you, is that we always read the Bible under its plain literal sense unless otherwise indicated. And when it does otherwise indicate, it makes it pretty clear for us. Indeed. You know, sometimes we do have to do a little bit of, bit of research to look at the historical background because it will sound weird and the moment you find something in the bible that sounds a bit weird then it's like okay do i need to dig here further or not yeah you know because a lot of people they will quote that passage about mixed fabrics and say well we 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 wear blended fabrics all the time but they've only read the last and quoted the last line of that one verse and they don't even know 
the verse that came before it, or the, not the verse, the, uh, the sentence that came before it. And if they knew and quoted the sentence that came before it, they would have a very clear indication that this was not something to be taken in its plain literal meaning, that God was trying to indicate um, a, uh, a lesson from this. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's stating the ridiculous. And so when the Bible states the ridiculous, then you don't take the plain literal meaning. But then that begs the question, how, is there sometimes where we may think something is ridiculous when in reality it's not ridiculous? Okay, so then you've got to look for, you've got to test that against reality. Okay. Um, so, for instance, in the, um, in, in, in the instance of mixed fabrics, you test it against reality and say, okay, is there any circumstance in reality where you would take all of your seeds that you've got for the year for your you know, various different vegetables, whatever that you're going to grow, stir them up in a pot and spread them through your field? That's not reality no, for anyone. Not for a farmer. Not so for anyone. A child that would yeah, like to see what happened right, to but, the science yeah, experiment. The Bible says but, that foolishness dwells in the heart of a child. This is Chris McClaney, Living Word of God. As willing hearts receive His written will unfolds Jewels found in every verse More valuable than gold Living Word of God A light unto our path Holy fire Reveals both sin and righteousness Filled with timeless truth Sowing seeds of faith Stored within our hearts and minds A journal Shield, forming brutal devil's scheme. 
Welcome back, everybody. That was Chris McClarney with The Living Word of God. We're about to have another clue for our quiz. We are indeed. Get okay. ready to call. This is Jacob was... Oh, no, it's the last one I read. The next one. Abraham purchased the field in Macpella. Uh, Abraham purchased the field in Macpella for this number of shekels. How many shekels did he... Man, these are obscure clues. That's like, what, clue number four or That's five? That's five. That's number That's five. five. <laughs> they could have put that one as the first one, and I would have had no idea. I got it on the first one, but this one... I, I, reckon, I, think, I reckon I could even probably get it on the first I one. Think, I think the easiest one was the number of years of um Israelite the captivity. lord told abraham that his descendants would be enslaved for this many years i think that's the easiest one that we've had so far which is yeah that's reasonable but it's not like they don't always get their, super obvious. their clues in the right order do they wow anyway if you know the answer if you know the you will answer be getting, you will be getting bragging rights today <laughs> give us a call 1-800-324-843 absolutely 0491064669 Okay, coming back to the clarity of the Bible, um, the question that comes up next is, what is the danger of taking a subjective interpretation of the Bible as opposed to a literal plain meaning of the passage? Indeed. So to let me just, okay, just to make sure that I'm understanding you. Yep. What is the danger of of assuming that something that is literal in the that we take something in the Bible as literal as something that is not literal? Yeah, what's the danger? Vice, of, vice versa. Yeah, well, no, well, it's it, it's 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 okay. When we read something, let's say we take Genesis chapter one, two, and three, yep. which because they're like the really most famous ones. Yeah. The if anything in the Bible is going to be taken subjectively by Christians, it's going to be those chapters. Yep. What's the danger, and I'm not talking about those ones in particular, but what is the danger of taking something as subjective when there is no indication that it should be taken you know, as being subjective or allegorical or symbolic? Conflict. Yeah. Conflict between different people that have different views and different opinions on what's written in the Bible. And then what is that uh, you know, conflict? Is conflict always a bad thing? It's uh, no, there's constructive conflict. Yep. There certainly is. It, it, you can have a, a very strong, healthy debate about you know certain things. Okay. Well, what about then? Let me put this case to you. What about if uh, if you're the kind of person who's like, you know, I don't get in conflict with other people. I'm just going to study the Bible for myself, come to my own conclusions. But you do take the Bible subjectively. Yep. What's the danger in taking the Bible subjectively? Uh, the danger in that is that you don't get the full message. You you get some parts and you 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 read all of it. So who becomes who comes who becomes control of the who who is in control of the word of God if you're taking the Bible subjectively? You are exactly. And if you are in control of the word of God, then you are God because you are creating your religion because you can create any religion you want because a subjective interpretation is like a rubber nose you can point it any direction you want to point it. The Church of Liam. Church of Liam and the Church of Lyle Church and the Church of, of Shell and Church of, uh, we can all become Liamites or Lyleites or Shellites. I think that's actually, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> that would be a bit of a worry, wouldn't it? It would indeed. Uh, some people might like the idea of that, but uh, it's, it's, it's certainly not good because you're sort of saying that you're a prophet almost. And what it means is that it really creates a book where it's like, well, you can go to that book and you can um, create any kind of you know, moral teaching that you want from that because you know, nothing in it is literal. And we can go back through history and you've got you know, some of the very famous men of history, you know, church fathers. Martin Luther, the Lutherans. Uh, uh, no, Luther took a plain, I, a plain literal meaning. 
Oh no, um, I'm saying to... I'm saying people that have um that, that that have examples of people that that the churches have, churches have come from. Yeah, um, yeah, but so he's oh okay. So what is, what are some examples of people who have taken a subjective look at the Bible and created a church out of that? Okay, so I would look at somebody like Oregon. Okay, so Oregon, uh, writing in the fourth century, um, the father of you know some of the texts that we translate the Bible from today in many ways, along with Eusebius. Believed, you know, he put together a uh, eight-column Bible called the Hexapla in Greek, and taught that the whole Bible should be taken allegorically. No, okay, so to me, no, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense. He took an eight-part and named it Hex something. And when I when I was at school, I learned that eight is octo and and six is hex. Yeah, well, and, hey. and also you know taking things subjectively. Look, essentially, what I'm taking from this is that not a lot of it makes sense. And this is one of the one of the great dangers, and this is where a lot of false doctrines have worked into the church. Is you know, for instance, like eternal hellfire and and, and so forth, have um, come into Christianity from paganism. The, the the immortality of the soul has crossed straight across into Christianity from paganism. And in those early years of the church fathers, what allowed those pagan concepts and mystical concepts to come into Christianity was a allegorical reading of passages that were never intended to be allegorical. Indeed. Uh, there's an interesting quote here uh, from a commentary, and it says, Ooh, the consistent example of the Bible writers shows that the scriptures are to be taken in their plain, literal sense unless a clear and obvious figure is intended. Yeah. So we've looked at three examples right here where a clear and obvious uh, figure is intended, and that is the trees talking together, Yep. Uh, the rich man and Lazarus, Indeed. and the mixing of garments. Indeed. There is no stripping away of the husk of the literal sense in order to arrive at the kernel of a mystical, hidden, allegorical meaning that only the initiated can uncover. I, I love that, uh, that analogy. Because in, in Far North Queensland, we get coconuts quite regularly. And sometimes you have to spend hours trying to get through that husk. And when you get to the middle, it's just this rotten inside. <laughs> just, just rotten inside. Sometimes, yes. sometimes, you know. You, well, hey, every time I've opened one up, um, they've all been awesome on the inside. Sometimes but. they are quite nice and delicious and, you know, juicy coconut milk and, and coconut flesh and whatnot. Um, but... You know, you can spend, you can invest a lot of time trying to find a coconut, uh, and on the inside, it's nothing. And you, you, and there's other times where you might cut corners to try and, you know, you might pick up a coconut off the ground as opposed to picking it out of the tree. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm saying with this is that there's a way to go about things. Well, I think that if, if there is not an obvious reason, this is what it's pointing at. If there is not an obvious reason to strip away the husk, yeah, don't do so. Yeah. Um, okay, so this all leads us to one of the challenges that arose. During the Dark Ages, Indeed. where you had the concept of papal succession that was invented, yeah. and you had an initiated group of people who were the only ones who were able to interpret Scripture because Scripture could not be taken in its plain literal sense. Mm. And uh, as a result of that, you had you know the, the rise of the priesthood and so forth, whereas the Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers. And when the Bible teaches about all, the priesthood of all believers... You know, Protestants have been very, very strong on that, uh, where every person under the 
guidance of the Holy Spirit is to read and understand the Bible for themselves rather than having somebody else read and understand it and tell them about it. Um, the question is, have we, in it, with our Protestant heritage, come into the same danger of creating you know, just another version of papal succession? I'd like to say that we have. Mm. It's called ap- academic succession. Indeed. And so basically what we've done is like, well, nobody's qualified to read or understand the Bible unless you have a degree. And nobody's qualified to explain the Bible unless you have a degree. Well, when I look at the disciples that Jesus chose, how many of them had a degree? Uh, uh, some of them, I think some of them may have. Or one. One, yeah. And was that um, the tax collector? Was that was Judas. Judas. Yes. So tax collecting does not require a degree. Not necessarily, not back in the in the day, but Judas was a uh, was an accountant. Well, there you go. And so, yeah, he was probably the most educated out of all of the disciples, and we kind of see how that went. And that's not to say that education is bad or that degrees are bad. That's you know, Paul was a very highly educated person, but it does show the priesthood of all believers. This is ancient words, so appropriate for what we're studying right now.
our team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your community, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Keep in touch with vulnerable members of your community like grandparents or new mothers and see if there's something you can do to help them with simple things like picking up some groceries, collecting the mail or dropping off some meals. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone living in isolation or quarantine. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Are drugs or alcohol a problem in your life? Alcohol Drugs Assist, or ADA, is a 12-step recovery program designed to help you escape the hold of addictions in a friendly and judgment-free environment. ADA meets regularly, and if you'd like to attend, give Peter a call or text on 0487 907 879. That's 0487 907 879. Welcome back, guys. That was that was 
Wild Atkins, I have decided. You're listening to Faith FM. We're about to have another clue for our quiz. We did no, get an we answer. we have a winner. We have a winner. Have so a winner. Elizabeth from Taggarty in Victoria. Well done. She Congratulations. guessed 400. So well done to her. Lots of yeah. very weird clues this morning. But that's that was. Okay. Bragging rights to Elizabeth this morning. Indeed. Well done. And a prize, of course. Absolutely. The McDougal's cooking book. It's now come time for... Question of the day. Question of the day. How good. All right. So the question today is... Some ministers and people have had visions of heaven and hell and have seen people being tormented or peaceful in their state of eternity. If everyone is sleeping in the dust, what are these people seeing? Okay, so with some of these instances, it is not for me to judge. In others, it is very clear because the Bible judges them. Okay, so the first thing we're going to ask ourselves the question is, all right, what is your standard of truth? Is your standard of truth your experience or is your standard of truth the Bible? And if your standard of truth is the Bible, what are you going to do when the Bible contradicts your experience? Which one of those two are you going to choose? And that's a decision that you're going to have to make for yourself. My decision is that the Bible always trumps experience because uh, the Bible is very clear that experiences can come from all kinds of different places. Let me illustrate this from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, where the Bible says it's no marvel, it's nothing to be shocked or surprised at when these kinds of things take, and take place. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, you know, it's not going to be very difficult for him to give, you know, these kinds of experiences. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 20 to through 23, it says, Not everyone that said to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And so here you have a situation where people are casting out demons. They are performing miracles. The supernatural is taking place, but they are not doing it by the power of God. God doesn't even know who they are. So Satan is well able to do supernatural things and to thus confuse us and also to mess with our minds. This, in fact, messing with our minds is kind of Satan's specialty. That is his, you know, Job description right there that his, 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 his primary uh, reason for existence as he sees it right now. Okay, so when somebody sees a vision like, for instance, I had an experience chatting with a lady one time who had had a vision where she went to hellfire and she described it in great detail how she went down through this volcano and passed all of these cliffs and she arrived and she saw all of these people that were being tormented in hellfire. And yet when I read in my Bible where the Bible says that the fire devours them, and when I read in my Bible, and the Bible says in multiple places that it turns them to ash. In fact, it turns them to ash in the same way that Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were turned into ash. And, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants thereof are not still burning today. And so many other passages that we could look at, you know, they're consumed, they're devoured, they're turned to ash. They are no longer in existence. These are words that the Bible uses to describe hellfire then I have a decision to make. Am I going to go with this person? And she has a decision to make as well. Does she choose her experience of the vision that she had or does she choose the Bible? That's what it comes down to. And, of course, we should always choose the Bible in those kinds of circumstances. Now, when it comes to people that have had visions of heaven, 
most of those I would be, you know, fairly suspicious of, particularly when they've seen people in heaven. However, God does on occasion give people visions of the future. So there's no problem with having a vision of heaven and seeing people in heaven who have died because God can show us things of the future and in heaven people will live in heaven. Uh, People will not live in hellfire. And so um, that's something that is kind of not for me to judge. You would look at, you know, the tests of a prophet in relationship to that particular situation. When I come across people who have visions of their family members who are dead coming and talking to them and having a conversation with them, that is an entirely different category because in that category, the Bible says in the clearest possible language, it never happens. That a dead person will never ever, Job speaks about it clearly, ever return to his own house. They will have never anything more forever in anything that is done under the sun. Simple as that. Okay, so we're going to move on with the show and I'm not sure what song is coming up next because my screen just died. Vocal union with what heavenly music? What heavenly music steals over the sea and trancing the senses like sweet melody tis the voice of the angels born soft on the That was the vocal union with what heavenly music. We've come time to the end of the show, Lyle. Certainly have. We've reached the end. We're going to miss you guys until tomorrow morning. Yes, indeed. It's only, what, uh, 21 hours or what, 22 hours away. And we will be back. And we'll be back. <laughs> uh, Super but, excited for but it. Because we are at the end of the show, it means we've got a giveaway. We do, we do. Let's, so let's go to uh, our giveaway today. It's called... 
Judgment and Hell Ooh. by Jim Eyre. Wow. Kind of thought that went on along with some of the subjects that we got Quite into fitting, today. Indeed. Judgment and Hell by Jim Eyre. So down to earth, plain language. Uh, Jim Eyre shines, uh, shines the light of Bible truth to reveal a God who always acts with justice, mercy, and most importantly, absolute love and fairness. So if you've got any questions over the subjects of judgment and hell, give us a call right now. Be the first caller at 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. Indeed. So uh, don't forget that uh, we've got a, our very own Bible study, interactive Bible study on Saturday morning from 9.30 to 10.30. So we'd love you to get involved. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's you get to call up and you get to give your own input, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, you just heard that we had question of the day. If you've got your own questions of the day, if you've got anything that you'd like to ask us, or if you've got a question that you'd like to be answered, we'd like to uh, we'd strongly like to encourage you to to call in with your questions at one eight hundred three two four eight four three, or you can send us a text at zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Send away your questions, and and we'll be happy to answer. We'll get to them uh, sometime during. Uh, a show in the future. Um, and Lyle, you've also got a wonderful Bible study that you've done, uh, the Prophetic Code. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Okay, Prophetic Code traces through the salient prophecies of the Bible and outlines the character of God and Jesus Christ, how he is revealed through these, and the truth of what the Bible has to say. Um, you can get that through the Discovery Center, so you can call us right here on 1-800-324-843. Absolutely. So I guess well, that's all for us today. We look forward to seeing you uh, next uh, tomorrow. Uh, coming up next, though, we've got John Bradshaw, so stay tuned to hear him. And don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will go strong in Jesus Christ today. Mississippi from the giver of enlightenment. 
Everyone is welcome here to dive into the waves. So leave the questions far behind you. Leave your past back on the shore. Australia and streaming online, you're listening to Faith FM. Needing your mercy 